0: Good morning. As Chris said, my name is Adam. I am one of the pastors here at Bethany. So I want to give you a big, big welcome. Uh, I am excited to jump into this brand new series. I love starting period. That's kind of my person. I love coming out of the gates and kicking things into gear. But this series, especially, I believe, has the potential to lead to more life change than many of the series that we do. I think we work really hard. I have some strong sermon series here, but this one, I think, has the potential to touch us in ways and lead to transformation than others do. The reason being, let me start with this verse. I'm going to jump right in with this. Ecclesiastes 10.19. This is one of these verses that makes me laugh every time I read it because of its reality and truth. It's one of those ones that we say, does the Bible really say that? It does. Um, but here it is. A party gives laughter. Uh, so party with the best of them. Wine gives happiness. So that's for another message. We'll touch that another time. And money does what? How many of you believe that? <laughs> I love what I read out of the scriptures. I'm like, you know what? There's reality to that. You cannot do life without money. A lot of us think it's super spiritual to say, ah, you know, I, I can, but you cannot do life without money. It's impossible. Money makes the world go round. That is a very true statement. You cannot exist. You cannot be successful. you can, I don't even think you can be healthy without it. So the question is, it touches us all. We all need it. We all interact with it. However, however, uh, Chris and I in our roles, we sit with broken marriages at the time, and I'll tell you, money, money is at the root of a lot of broken marriages. I've uh, sat with many of people over the course and heard stories, and you have too, and you saw the movies and read the books, money can bring such incredible heartache. So I believe this series, it touches us all in a profound way. Some of us, it touches us from a place of poverty. You're sitting here where you don't have a lot. Some of us, you're sitting here and you've been blessed with um, an overabundance. It touches us all, and we're going to talk throughout this series how to handle it and how to handle it well. Here's what this series is going to be. I want to be very upfront this morning. Uh, This series is loosely borrowed from a guy by the name of Craig Grishel at Life Church. I say loosely because we've made it our own and adapted it. And I'll tell you, he adapted it from Dave Ramsey, Uh, so a lot of the stuff you're seeing, if you've been through his financial piece, you um, you have, or if you even know Dave, you've likely, a lot of the stuff I'm going to be saying, you're like, yeah, I heard Dave say that, yeah, I heard Dave say that. Um, Chris has said, I, I love Chris's quote in this, I don't know going to mess your quote up, but I think he says it this way, I don't know if I've ever said anything original um, or something like that, I always laugh when he says it, because it's so true, so much of what we say, we just repackage what we've learned from others, so that's this, so this, here's what I going to say this morning, this morning is going to be very simple and very interactive, So warm up, get ready, uh, look at the person beside you, give a big smile, because you're going to talk to them a lot throughout this series, okay? So I hope you sat next to someone you like, at least hopefully they brush their teeth and you don't need to, you know, all that. So here we go. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to talk about the series. It's going to be four weeks long, and so we're going to do this. This morning, we're going to talk about less is more, right? Less is more. Can we all say that together? Ready? See, I didn't make you tell the person beside you. Isn't that good? Now, this next one, I'm going to have you tell the person beside you. So this week, we're going to talk about less is more. The next week, we're going to talk about debt, and we're going to talk about stress is bad. So look at the person beside you, and you tell them, stress is bad. Some of you didn't do it. I saw it. Let's do it again one more time. Turn the person beside you. Get your finger up there and point at them. Ready? Say, stress is bad. There you go. I saw a little more interaction in that one. So... This morning, less is more. Next week, we're going to talk about debt, and we're going to talk about stress and reality that comes with um, debt. Then the third week, we're going to talk about the beauty of giving. So let's all say it together. Ready? Ready? Giving is good. That's right. We're going to talk about that. So less is more. By the end of this series, you're going to have this down and you guys are you're going to be up here, up here and teach this, right? Less is more. Stress is bad. Giving is good. And then on the fourth week, we're going to end the entire series by talking about investment. How You know, because uh, we often talk about giving, but how often have you heard a church talk about investment and how do you invest your money and what do you do with your money with annuities and all that other good stuff to make sure my money is going to produce and produce well and produce what God's designed for money to produce. So that's that so turn to the person beside you and tell them tomorrow matters. Or some of you don't have people beside you, so you may need to turn around. This is going to be awkward. I know some of you just picked a bad seat this morning. Uh, so here we go. This morning, we're going to talk about less is more. And because of this, some of you, if you're here week in and week out, know that I kind of dive into a passage and I try and go in and move all around. This morning, we're going to simply stay in one passage, One verse. Now I tried really hard to honor that. I'm gonna be honest, I do deviate a little bit and I'm gonna throw some other thoughts in, but I, I think we're gonna pretty the same one. Here's the verse. Ready? Here it comes. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse six. Better to have one handful with quietness than two hand, than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. How many of you ever heard the statement if one is good? What's a second? Two is better, right? If one is good, two is better. This verse comes along and says, Hey, listen, have you ever tried to chase the wind? Where's it come from? Where's it going? Can you see it? It's a thing it's impossible to do. So what he's saying, he's saying, hey, listen, the writer of Ecclesiastes, this, this guy was one of the why, he's called one of the wisest men of all time. Uh, God basically stepped in. He was a king in Israel and God says to him, hey, listen, I'll give you anything you want. And so they, uh, Solomon is his name and he prays and he says, you know what, God, what I really want is wisdom. Uh, so because God has, says, man, that's a great thing to have. You could have, asked for, you could have asked for wealth. You could have asked for everything else. I'm going to give you what you've asked for. I'm going to give you wisdom. So he's said to be one of the wisest men. He writes this letter of Ecclesiastes. He's written much of our scripture called Proverbs, which are these pithy little statements of wisdom and how to live that out. He comes along and he observes a lot in life. And one of the things he observes is, man, life, he has this, everything's meaningless. This is meaningless and, and all this. But he, So he's observing life and where's purpose found. And one of the things he says, It's man, it is so much better to have one handful. So we're going to talk about how it's not wrong. We're going to talk about this morning. It's not wrong to have some things. Sometimes when churches and pastors and books and Christian leaders talk about money, I sometimes walk out thinking, wow, I feel really guilty because I have a car. I mean, it's, sometimes it's just like you feel this way. I feel really guilty because I'm wearing nice clothes. Oh my goodness, because I shopped at Target. I'm like evil. I mean, it's like you, sometimes you, in, you internalize this stuff. And so the writer says, no, 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 it's okay to have some things. And we're going to talk about that this morning. But what's what's really miserable is to have lots of things that then control you. So he says, man, you can work two jobs. You can go out and work three jobs because you're going to make the ends meet and you're going to get ahead and you're going to, and we're going to talk about what drives some of that, but you're going to work your tail off. And at the end of working your tail off, you're going to have not some things, you're going to have some things and your hands are going to be full, but you're going to go to bed at night and you're going to miss out. You're going to ache. You're not going to be at peace. You're not going to have what truly matters. What does matter in life? Have you ever thought about that? You guys ever, I'm going to give you an exercise. This is, you, I guarantee you've done this before, most likely. What we're going to really talk about is one um, or less of what doesn't matter so I can experience more of what does. So what does? Imagine you um, are, you, you sit down with the doctors and the doctors just did a bunch of tests and they come back to you a week later and they say, okay, here's the story. You have roughly three to six months left. Some of you have experienced this with a loved one. It's an awful thing to do with the doctors. But put yourself in that position. You likely drive home. Your world is crashing in on you. You go to bed. You wake up the next morning. You say, okay, I've got three to six months left. What begins to stir in your mind? What things do you go about doing? What things become a priority to you? What matters in life, in other words? Take a moment. Just to reflect on it. What is it that really, really matters? Now, you can go out and Google this, and you can, this question's been asked all over the place, and do you know what you never, ever, ever put on the list? I've never seen on the list, and I'm pretty sure these things are not on your list. I don't think anyone ever says, you know what really matters in that last three to six months? I'm going to add one more zero to my bank account. Do you know what really matters? I'm going to, you know, I've really wanted that leather sofa. I'm going to buy it. Those countertops, the granite countertops I've always wanted. That's what I'm going after. You know what? Forget the granite countertops. I'm going to finally get my hoverboard. I mean, I've been so afraid of that thing, but I'm going to finally pick that thing up. Or I know what, the last three to six months, I'm going to work really hard at breaking 1,000 followers on Instagram. Or you know what? Forget all that. Ready? Here's one for the young in the room. I'm going to be the Fortnite Victory Royale, and I'm going to hit it over. And oh, did I get that right, guys? You're chuckling, right? Did I say it right? I probably totally botched it, didn't I? Some of you are going, what is that? Well, there's a whole group over here who can tell you what that is, right? Some of you say, well, you know what really you know what I've never seen a list? I've never seen a Note 9, or some of you say, What's a Note 9? I want an iPhone, I want the iPhone X and that really big one. None of you ever put in a list the Adidas Ultra Boots, Ultra Boost, or uh, the power drill that you've always wanted, or the new Remington rifle that you can go out and kill all those animals to hang on your wall. That's what you're gonna do in the last three to six months. How many of that stuff was on your list? What's on your list? Someone said it. Relationships. Love. The people you care about. That's what that verse in Ecclesiastes is really going after. It says, hey, we... we." But what I find, so much of our life is built around all that stuff I just listed. That's what we dream about. That's what we think about. That's what we go to work for. That's what we're going to tackle. And Ecclesiastes says, man, you're going to have it, but you're going to miss out. So this morning... We're going to work through three things of this less is more. And here's what we're going to look at. First one, first principle is we're going to cut back. Ready? We're going to cut back. Can you turn to the person beside you and give a good, hearty cut back? We're going to cut back. You do it? Some of you, I don't know, guys. Some of you are not awake yet. So, <laughs> so we're going to cut back. Now, here's what I think about cutting back. My house was built around 1900. And what I've observed about houses built in that era, you know what they didn't have? What didn't they have built in the 1900s? They didn't have building codes. I heard someone, they didn't have building codes. No. (laughs) They didn't have building codes. They didn't have attic, or um, they didn't have uh, closets. Well, they didn't have closets. Guess what else they didn't have? Garages. Uh, uh, So I think about about, um, closets. You know, our, yes, I, I look at it and think, what on earth did people wear in the, in the early 1800s, 1900s? What did people wear? I've heard people say, well, well, they had these things called armoires. Okay, so it's like this portable closet you put in. But think about today, 118 years later. Not only do we have closets, now we have these things called walk-in closets. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I don't have one in my house. I don't even have a walk-in closet. Uh, but I've been in homes, and I've seen homes, and I watch HGTV every now and then, or my wife's watching, I watch with her. Uh, but I'll catch HGTV, and you see, not only do you have walk-in closets, but guess what? We have walk-around closets. I don't just walk in. Like, I ain't going to throw a whole party in that thing. I mean, they're huge. And not only that, not only do we have these, these, these walk in and walk around, but then we have, like, a row of clothes here, and then we have a whole another row of clothes here. And then we have a whole another section of here for our clothes. And I've, I've even heard, I've seen, that some of you can press a button now, and, and like, the first row, like, kind of rotates and drops down and pushes back, and a whole other row comes out. And then, you know what's amazing is we stand in these walk-in closets, and we sit there, and we think, hmm, I don't have anything to wear. (laughs) Now, what we're really saying is, I don't really have anything that quite matches this shirt. So, or I don't really, I mean, it's just crazy to me. I kind of chuckle at it. You know, you think about it this way. So not only in the 1900s did they not have closets, but they didn't have garages, so they had attics, and they'd probably store some things or stack it away. But today, we have garages, right? And so we have a two-car garage, and now we've moved to three-car, because why do we move to three-car garages? Not to store our cars. It's because the first and the second bay fill up with our stuff, and, we, and it overflows that. Now we put sheds in our backyards, and now, here's the craziest thing. It, it, <laughs> right now in America, there are f- over 53,000 Ready for this? Over 53,000 companies that do nothing but store your stuff. Wow. Now, I look at that. I think, man, guys, we have got to cut back. Life, the way Jesus, here's a paraphrase of Jesus. Uh, He said in Luke chapter 12, life does not consist in the abundance of our stuff. You know what I find? We think we need it. I've got this phone right here. How many of you think you need one of these? Be honest. Like you couldn't do life without it, right? We need the phone. We need our TV. We need our Netflix. We need our two cars or our three cars. I can't cut back. We need our restaurants. We eat out more. We need our battle pass. We need our smart speakers. We need our dog. We need our cat. We need our bigger house. We need our kids to have name brand clothes. Or you know what I need? Here's what I need. I needed it last night. What did I need last night? Ah, that's a second one. <laughs> hey, you'll be proud of me. I went to the fair last night, right? I went to the fair. I had all these options of ice cream. You know what I got? I got vegetables. Now, the thing is they were fried vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> but they were good. <laughs> well, we know what else I needed last night? Air conditioning. What is up with this weather? We get home from the fair and I'm like, okay, um, let's turn it on because I can't sleep. I, I can't, like, listen, I talk about it. I talk about it like I'm, like I'm just, like dep- I can't sleep. It's important for me to get my sleep. So we're going to turn the air conditioning on. God forbid I put the fan in the window with this muggy weather and 68 degrees blowing on me. I need my air conditioning. Now, I'm not putting air conditioning down or all this other stuff, because we're going to talk about stuff's okay, and we're going to put it in perspective, but the reality is better to have one handful with quietness or peace, one of the translations says peace, than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Can we say this verse together? Let's say it together. Ready? Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, so we are going to cut back. You know what else we're going to try and do uh, throughout this series? We're going to clear out. We're going to clear out. I, we got to practice this as a family this week. We had a yard sale. Man, did we have a yard? We cleared out, and it felt good. What clearing out does, here's the way Dave Ramsey says it. I'm going to paraphrase Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey says, clear out as if life depends on it. He says, clear out so much. I love when he. I chuckle when he says, I don't know exactly what he says. Clear out so much that the kids soon begin to worry that they're next. That's clearing out, right? So, it well, here, but here's what scientific studies show. Let's move into the, move away from the scriptures. The scriptures speak to this so eloquently and beautifully. Move away from the scriptures, and and you see, science bears this up. Clearing out, you know what it does for you? It creates space in your heart and in your soul. That's not the word science uses, but it talks about the peace and tranquility that can settle in on you when you just clear some stuff out. It's amazing to me. Now, um, I know this is hard. This whole series is, can be hard. It's, I want to acknowledge. pause right here in the midst of this, 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 this talk here. And I get that it's hard. Um, it's hard because some of you didn't grow up with a lot. You grew up in a home where you did not have. You grew up in a home maybe where you were abused or you were neglected or you, you, knew, you knew poverty better than anyone in this room knew poverty. And you vowed in your life that you are not going to repeat that, and you're going to give your kids what, what you never had. And that's not all bad, but that's why stuff like this gets hard, because you've been working your whole life to give something to the people that you love that you didn't have. You know why else this gets hard? This can get hard for some of us because, man, we grew up in an era where we didn't have a lot, or maybe some of you are, are, are harking back to the depression or have, have parents that lived through that, and you know, you know, you just do not waste things. Everything that you bring home from the store, those Martin pretzels, when you're done eating them, you save the container. Even if you have 15 of them in the basement, you save the container, Right, it's just so we, we have this way we say we don't waste or or you know what? Yesterday, as we were doing a yard sale, there was things I wanted to get out. I'm like, you know, I don't want to get rid of that because I might need it. Right, I might need it someday, though I haven't used it in the last three years. There might be that just special day when I need it. So it's hard. I get it. It's also hard because there's stuff. Stuff begins to form sentimental attachments. Maybe you've got something that you wore in your first date. Or that your little boy or little girl played with. Or maybe you've got that thing that you had since you were a little baby or a child. Do you remember walking around? I mean, some of you, you need to let the blankie go. It's, it's time to lay that thing down. But you have those things that you have sentimental attachment to. You know why else this is hard? I'm going to be really frank. These principles get hard, and this is my pushback. When I look at Dave Ramsey or Mary Hunt or anyone else out there that, that are these financial experts... One of the arguments that I often make against them is this, it only works if you have. It doesn't work for those that have not. That's always been my argument. Now, people push it out and tell me I don't fully get it, but I, it's really hard to interact with some of these principles when you do not make money. Right now, in eastern Lancaster County, I don't know about Cacalico, I don't know about Warwick or Ephrata or some of their school districts that you guys come from. Right now, in eastern Lancaster County, eight years ago, ago, 21% of the school-age students, which would be kindergarten to seniors in high school, 21% of the students were on free and reduced lunches. Free and reduced lunches. If you're not familiar, you fill out an application. the, the, the government actually sets it. The, the they say State of Pennsylvania says, "Here is our poverty threshold. Here is what it's going to cost." And we don't want to make sure children have nutrition because it's a really big deal. If they're not fed well, uh, they don't have proper nutrition. They don't learn well. You don't learn well. It's just a it's a crazy thing. So, 21 percent, eight years of you know what the number is today in Eastern Lancaster County. Take a guess. let that set in on you 44% that's why this series is a big deal and that's also why it's really hard because 44% that means there's probably a large chunk of you in this room that would be considered by the state of Pennsylvania to be living at a certain threshold of poverty now, this is a really big deal. I mean, I, Ann Ash, who's here this morning, um, wrote an article uh, profiling, talking about a town hall meeting. It's coming just to wrestle with this very issue. I encourage you. We're going to have it on our Facebook page. You will find a link there. It gives you all the information on it. But consider checking out and being part of the solution. But the reality is, when you don't have, these principles are all the more difficult to interact with. And those of us who have sometimes can sometimes get a little judgmental of those that have not and think, what's wrong with you? Well, it's really tough to live when you don't have a lot. So that's why this is hard. But it's still, though it's hard, I want to step in and say learn to clear out. It's for your own good. Chris made a comment about the jelly. Let me talk about the jelly. How many of you like jelly? Some of you like jelly. Look at that. How many of you would buy sweet chili bacon jam? Anyone? Ah, uh, some of you are going, maybe I would, right? Okay, here was, here was another one. This one I found interesting. Um, <laughs> Real mint jelly. What do you think? Yes, no? Sound good? Some of you are going, yeah, that sounds good. Now, there's some, there's some interesting stuff. Now, um, back into the year 2000, I believe it was, there was a landmark study done. Uh, This was, this was a study. If you have studied economics or if you've gone to school for marketing, you've likely engaged in study. Or if you've gone to school for change theory. This is often pops up in change theory as well. It's a landmark study that was done. It was fascinating. What they did, they came into a grocery store and they set up a display with 24 jams at it. And in front of the display, they had two little containers with two samples. You know when you go to Costco, you love to go to Costco, you can have lunch, you walk all around, hit all the stands, hit Walmart on the weekend, you do the same thing. Well, they had these two little containers with just, they didn't, they didn't sample all 24, just two samples, and then they had a coupon for a dollar off any one of these jams. Okay, so they, they, they studied this and they watched this, and what they were looking at is how many people come in, engage the display, and then, more importantly, how many people buy a jam. Then on another day, they repeated the exact same experiment. They had two, they, but this time they only set up six. So you have 24, the next day you have six. They didn't do it at the same time. Same, same grocery store, same day, same environment, same setting. Now they set up six. Same thing, they put two samples out in front. Of just, they didn't have all six, just two. And then they also had a coupon, the same coupon for a dollar off. What's fascinating, what's fascinating is the results. Now, over the years, this this experiment has been repeated and validated. People have argued with some of the controls of the if you get into the how experiments are done. But the reality is this, this experiment opened up a door for people to study beyond. It's just been fascinating. But here's what we begin to learn. was well, absolutely fascinating? 60% of the shoppers that walked down the aisle stopped at the at the display with 24. So, if 100 people coming down, 60 people stopped and said, wow, yeah, I'll try some. This is pretty cool. Look at all these choices. How many people stopped at this one? What do you think? 40%. So, less people. So, out of 100, you got 40 people stopping. Now, with this one here, how many people bought the six? 30% of the people bought with the six. So, 30% of the people that stopped said, hmm, Yeah, I'll take one home with me. That one there, how many people bought? This number is staggering. How many people bought with the 24? 3%. 3%. Now, this gets into beyond money. This gets into the space in us. Decisions. This gets into decision-making. Decision-making can paralyze. You ever meet the people that wear the same thing every single day? Do you know why they do it? Because it frees up space. It frees up. It frees up. It doesn't exhaust them and tire them. So they're trying to simplify their life to put all their energy in one. So so it gets into decision-making. But more than that, it gets into the reality that less is often more. Excess choice paralyzes us. Excess of anything leads, leads, the studies of excess of anything leads to less satisfaction. So I'd say cut back. Cut back. Clear out. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. Uh, it's a big one. So again, Ecclesiastes 4.6. Let's say it together again. We say it together again? Here we go. Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, you guys picked the wrong service. Second service, I'm going to give all this away. So, sorry. So, Yeah, there you go. Stay second service if you got a shot at some jelly, right? Uh, I already know there's one young man who asked me that already, so I think he's going to skip student ministry and come on back here because he wants some jelly. Uh, (laughs) So we're gonna cut back, we're gonna clear out, and the one that we're gonna talk about at length next week is pay off. We're gonna pay off. Turn to the person beside you and say, pay it off. All right, come on, say with some you guys are getting a little tired now, right? You're like, I had enough of this, Adam. Turn to him one more time, really with conviction. Tell him, pay it off. All right, there you go. So um, now, this one, we're going to talk at length next week. We're going to get into the specifics of debt, how debt works, what do the scriptures say about debt, how, how the scriptures talk about when you have, when you have massive, especially massive debt loan, you become a slave, um, the borrower becomes a slave to the lender, and we'll talk about that. But here's the thing I want you to know this morning. You know, what I've never, ever, ever, ever heard, I've never heard the person say to me, oh, When I went to the mail this week or got it on my email or my notification, I opened that thing up and I saw that high interest yielding credit card statement. I just stopped and said, dear Jesus, thank you so much. (laughs) Have you ever met anyone like that? I've never met the person that said, oh, this debt brings me so much peace. I've never heard the person say to me, oh, the joy, the joy Oh, the joy of, uh, uh, you know what this does for my marriage? I mean, debt just brings us closer. I mean, we are like this right now because of that high. No. What do you hear instead? You hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. In our day and age, we are worried. I hear people all the time talk about how the worry and the stress that they carry with money. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I hear all the time about marriages falling apart, and one of the key things that they fall, I don't think it's the reason they fall apart, but it, it contributes, is money. But yet, what do we keep doing? Borrowing money. Living on credit. Very few of us in this room, if tragedy were to strike tomorrow, you'd have enough saved to live for the next month to two or three. Most of us are living, most of us, I'm included, I'll put myself in a category, most of us are living from paycheck to paycheck or at least close to, where what's coming in is what's going out and what's coming in is what we need to live and to make it month in and month out. And we think, ah, I got credit. I can fall back on. We're going to talk about that next week, and it's, it'll be a good week. I promise. Please come back. I'm not going to beat anyone up. Just it's a, well, The hardest is to have freedom in this area. And so, again, the verse. Let's say it together again. Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Now, here's I want to close this thing. I am not saying that you shouldn't have anything. What does the verse say? The very first phrase, better to have what? One handful. The scriptures are very real. You know, there are pastors that preach what I would call a poverty theology. They think basically if you're a follower of Jesus, you should have nothing. I don't think the scriptures ever say that. What the scriptures say is make sure that the stuff that you have doesn't own you is really what the scriptures say. What I find is is it's better to have nice stuff than a bunch of stuff that owns me. Or another way to say it is the richest people in the world are not those who have the most but need the least. That's actually the richest person in the world. See, but oftentimes, here's what I want to push in on as we land this plane. Oftentimes, we live thinking that what we don't have is what we need. And do you know where we derive our ideas of what we need? Where do we get our ideas of what we need? Where do you get the ideas of what you need? Well, here's where I'm going to violate, I said. I said we aren't going to look at any other verses. We want to look at one other one. It's a verse, two verses right before the one we've been looking at. Look at, look at, the, look at the truth of this verse. <laughs> then I observed, so this is this wise man, Solomon. He's observing life. He's trying to decide what, what is life really all about. Then I observed, as I've looked around, that most people, most people, the majority of you in this room, Most people are motivated to success because, what? They envy their neighbors. In other words, in other words, and he finishes the verse, but this too is meaningless like chasing the wind. In other words, what he's saying is, see what he's saying? Your definition of what you think you need is often because you've looked at them. You've scrolled through Facebook or Instagram or you're online looking around and think, oh, man. Oftentimes, what we're running after is we're saying, ha, 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 I need because they have. And we don't consciously do it. We aren't consciously saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have this, so I need. But it's, but it, it's this, this thing that begins to set in. Well, You know why I'm going to go to school? I'm going to go to school because they went to school, and I'm going to be better than them. You know why I'm going to go into business? I'm going to go into business because they went into business. I'm going to be better than them. You know why I need a bigger house? Because they have a bigger house. Or we, we get around, and maybe we get together with your friends. You get it done. We go even into our small groups, and we're sitting there in this living. We're looking around the house Wow, look what they have. Oh, I need one of them. Wow, that's really nice. They got to, oh, yeah. And you go home and you begin to make it your ambition to get a thing because they have a thing. And it destroys us. It absolutely destroys us. When Solomon says this, I think there's so much wisdom. He says, man, be oh so careful. You know what Jesus taught us to pray? His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Do you know what he said? Some of you know it, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what's the first request? Give us this day our what? How many of us in this room in the West today pray that prayer with genuine sincerity on our hearts? You know, most of us in this room, even the poorest in this room, because of the way our government is structured and set up, praise God for, because of the way ministries are set up, very few of us in this room are worried about where your next meal is coming from. Let alone do we talk to God about it. God, I need to live today. Give me today my daily bread. We look at food as a right, as a necessity, as I'm going to have it. And I think that's where this breaks down. God, give me today my daily bread, and then when I get it, what do we do? God, thank you. You know, this is why I think we pray. I'm not always, people always say, Adam, do you pray before a meal? Uh, When I go out in restaurants, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. We try to as a family, but sometimes, you you know what it finds to me? It becomes this rote thing that we do. Well, it's time to pray again. As opposed to just stopping and saying, God, genuinely from my heart, thank you for this food. I don't deserve it. You don't owe it to me, but you're taking care of me. Thank you. So I think this morning, when you talk about less is more, what we're really talking about is gratitude. And I think gratitude begins where our sense of entitlement ends. I don't know who I've heard say this. Somewhere I picked it up. I couldn't find it. I think Stephen Furtick, I think, is the first person I heard say this, but I don't know. So I forgot, so give me credit, right? Gratitude Gratitude begins where our sense of entitlement ends. What I've learned is oftentimes it used to be I get to, now it's I have to. Something that seemed like such a blessing is now just a part of the package. When I was uh, fresh out of 20-something, fresh out of college, I was so stoked. I mean, I was so excited to get a job in ministry. I mean, I couldn't believe someone was going to pay me to do this. I was like, you kidding me? This is amazing. Went to a small church in Mifflin County, Pennsylvania, about two hours from here. A lot of you have hunting cabins and, and all you gotta go vacation there. So we go and live there. We bought a cute little Cape Cod house in old 322 if you're familiar with the area. We were so stoked, and I wasn't even making $30,000 out of the gate. I remember walking into my office for the very first time. It was literally, I think it was literally 8 by 10. might have been 10. It was tiny. It was small. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a laptop. Cell phones were just kind of a, they were looked as an excess then. I didn't have a laptop. The church provided me very little in the way of uh, ministry expense lines and some of the standard package deals that come in with the pastoral ministry. I did not have a lot. But you know what I had? I get to do this. This is amazing. I get to do this. But you know what happens after a while? You guys have been there. Some of you have, most of you have, I think. What happens after a while? The boss lets you down. You have a bad day. You're getting tired, you're starting to look around, see what other pastors have. You mean you mean your church gives you a cell phone? Really? you mean you get and soon "I get to" becomes a have to. And soon, soon, which was such a blessing to me, is now just a part of the package. That happens to all of us. And I think we start to live. I hear, I hear all the time. May I talk to the older generation in the room? I hear all the time. I hear it most often from the older generation talking of the younger generation. They're so entitled. I think we all are. If we live in the West... We all are, to some degree or another, entitled. We think it's owed to us. So I'm challenging us all throughout this series to step in and say, let's wrestle with that. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's, learn, to, let's learn to cut back, clear out, and pay off. Less is more. Now, here's where I want to end. If you go home this morning, if you go home, and you think I'm telling you to stop buying your Starbucks coffee... Or you go home and tell your wife to stop buying her Starbucks coffee. I'd highly suggest you do not do that. You have missed the point of this morning. Likewise, if you go home this morning and you think if you don't at some level examine why you buy that Starbucks coffee, you've missed the point of this morning. One of my great fears of talking about money in the church Dave Ramsey included, Helen Hunt, all these people, when they start talking about money, one of my great fears is we begin to make these rules that you need to now go live by. And if you don't live by them, you're not going to be successful financially. I want to challenge that. What we're talking about here throughout this series is a father in heaven who loves you, who desires a relationship with you, who wants to bless you with good gifts, who wants to give you a handful He wants to. And I think when he teaches us to pray, he's teaching us, Father in heaven, we start out with this beautiful picture of who he is. and the very first prayer, Father, give me today what I need. And then when we get it, because we're not entitled people, we're going to say, God, thank you for this Starbucks coffee. Or in my case, I hate coffee, so I'm going to say, God, thank you for this good life ice cream. Now, I want to say this. One of you came up to me and thinks you can score me a deal with another ice cream place in town that if I would mention them from the pulpit, they're going to give me some free ice cream. I am all in for any of those deals that you guys want to work out for me. (laughs) Just for what it's worth. I'm into endorsement deals. I will mention any ice cream from this stage if it means free ice cream. (laughs) But, Father, thank you for taking care of me. Thank you. Because less is more. And God, I'm so grateful for what you've given me. So throughout this, we're gonna learn to cut back, clear out, and pay off. And one last time, let's say it together as I go to prayer. Ready, ready? Ecclesiastes 4, 6. Let's say it nice and loud together. Better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jesus. Father, thank you for being a father in heaven. Uh, that's for us, that wants to bless us, that's given us stuff. God, stuff to enjoy like ice cream, like air conditioning. God, they're gifts. But God, man, I don't want any of those gifts to control me, to own me, or I don't ever want to feel entitled to any of it. God, help us as a a church family to take very seriously money. God, it it can set into our hearts and it can soon become the king of our heart. And it can clutter us up in a way that leaves no room for you, for the relationships that we love so much, for the people in our lives that we deeply care for. So God, over these next couple weeks, God, help us to do an honest look and evaluation and really step in and do the things that you're asking us to do. God, we want to be people that have peace in this area and use our resources well to further your kingdom. God, for anyone in this room right now, I just want to end by saying anyone in this room that doesn't know that you're a good father, doesn't know you by the name Father, I pray for them right now. I pray that uh, as they're listening and taking some of this in and looking at what the scriptures talk about money and how you operate, God, I pray that their hearts were challenged, that they'd step in towards it more than anything. I pray that they'd go home just asking, who is this Father in heaven? And how do I have a relationship? How How do I make him my Father? God, man, would people know, God, that are here in that position, that you love them, that you're for them, and all you're asking of them is to say and acknowledge that they can't do it on their own, that they have a thing called sin and you're asking them to repent or, or more just to turn to you. And God, I pray that someone this morning, uh, that sets in and they take that step. But God, for the rest of us as Christ followers, help us, help us to live well with money. Help us to live in a way that we have that handful um, and we live at peace. In Jesus' name, amen.